welcome to another episode of the Making Sense of Islam podcast. A few housekeeping points before we begin. Every episode is accompanied by episode notes that highlight everything I've referenced. So people, verses, hadith, etc. They're all in the episode notes, which you can find at makingsenseofislam.com. Most of the episodes are short form, so the notes are few. But when you listen to longer form episodes, the notes are meant to be a resource and an aid. Number two. I would really appreciate it if you could rate the podcast on whatever platform you use and leave a comment, hopefully positive. And number three, every Friday I send out a short email called Coexist Ruminations that shares what I'm working on and reading in my four focus areas. If you'd like to receive these, please sign up by going to makingsenseofislam.com forward slash Friday. That's it for now. Enjoy the show. If you have ever spent time studying any of the Islamic sciences, one of the patterns that becomes clear is the attention scholars in the past gave to documenting principles, axioms, rules, aphorisms, etc. In almost every discipline, you will find these catalogued, all with the aim of making the study of that particular discipline easy. So, rather than always having to start with a minutia and then making sense of it, students typically learn these principles which provide important frameworks to make sense of it all. Now, while these principles are usually for students and experts of these fields, I believe that many Muslims seeking to make sense of Islam require their own set of first principles through which they can approach Islam as a religion and discipline of study and also draw conclusions that are both at one with the fundamentals of the faith and also compatible with our current condition. In this series, and at this point, I'm not exactly sure how long it's going to be, but I will say at least 10 episodes. I want to highlight some of these first principles that help us create a mental framework through which we can make sense of Islam today. Enjoy. Assalamu alaikum. I hope everyone is doing well. Thank you for tuning in again for another episode. Today's principle is a principle that might not necessarily be found as I will explain it in the uh, intellectual history of Islam but nonetheless something that our sources talk frequently about and one that is very important for us to keep in mind in the modern world and that is the importance of the environment and Islam's attitude towards the environment and our attitude as Muslims, as practicing Muslims if we are practicing Muslims listening towards the environment and that is something that I think rightfully belongs in this category of first principles or meta principles of Islam. Uh, and my goal, hopefully, inshallah, in the next few minutes is to try to tease out from our sources and our, you know, our intellectual history why I think that's important. The first thing that we notice, and this, by the way, I have to say uh, as a, uh, you know, a warning, not necessarily a warning, but just sort of as a disclaimer, is a, is a, topic that I'm very, very interested in. I've always been interested in it. I've been blessed to uh, have environmentally oriented teachers uh, when I was young uh, in my formal education and then also in my Islamic education. And I also want to be clear that there is no way at all that I'm going to do justice to this topic in, the, in this one little episode. And I hope, inshallah, maybe in the future down the line, we can dedicate a longer forum for this, because this is really, really, uh, really important. So I say that as a disclaimer in the beginning. I'm not in any way claiming that this is going to be the, the be-all and end-all. This is just a, we can think of it as an introduction. Now, the first thing that we notice, if we go to the Qur'an, 
and we try to tease out well, what does the Quran say? What is its attitude towards the environment? The first thing is we notice that the environment is always referred to as something that is animated, something that is alive, in a state of worship, in a state of concept worship to God. Uh, for example, the verse in Surah Al-Isra, verse 44, وَإِن مِن شَيْءٍ إِلَّا يُسَبِّحُ بِحَمْدِهِ وَلَكِن لَا تَفْقَهُونَ تَسْبِيحَهُمْ There is nothing except that it is in a state of tasbih, it's in a state of supplication or 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 dhikr to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's just that you cannot understand it. Uh, in Surah Al-Rahman, verse 6, وَالنَّجْمُ وَالشَّجَرُ يَسْجُدَانِ And the stars and the trees prostrate, you know, prostrate to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That, that is... Uh, and we are also reminded of our own creation. وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ Verse 56 of الذريات, I have not. Allah says, I have not created humankind or jinnkind except to worship. Now, when we read the life of the Prophet, peace be upon him, we, we read there are many instances, you know, many, many, hundreds and hundreds of miracles in which in, what we would refer to as inanimate objects become animated. Stones that make tasbih in his hands, the tree stump that cried in the mosque, the famous hadith in Bukhari, and the, the Prophet, peace be upon him, hugged the tree so it would stop crying, and all of the companions hearing the cry. So when God says in the Qur'an, everything is in a state of worship, of invocation, but you can't understand it, that's the key. The key is that we can't always perceive it easily. But when it comes to somebody like the Prophet, peace be upon him, for example, he could and one of the wisdoms behind those many miracles is to demonstrate for uh, to those around him and for us to remember that those that are on the prophetic path and that are close they have a keener insight into the animated nature of the environment so that's that's really important and and again sometimes we might think not think about these things, or we might hear this and be like, "Yeah, well, okay, I believe that." You know what? What's but? Well, there's there's not. A, it's not an issue of but and or. The issue is if we understand that this will color the rest of this discussion. That the trees, you know, the animals, uh, rocks, stones, the clouds, the birds. I mean, everything is in a state of worship to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. So if you came upon somebody that was worshipping, even if they didn't share your faith tradition, you wouldn't interrupt that person worshipping. You wouldn't harm that person. Uh, you, would see, you would see anybody that would trespass against that as, as a criminal. I mean, by default, human nature, we would say this is the most innocent, you know, personal thing that somebody can do. I have no right to uh, violate, uh, to harm, etc. Uh, well, the environment is the same way. So therefore... Why don't we have that kind of attitude when we're thinking about the natural environment around us? So again, just something to think about. We'll, we'll keep pressing on, and again, I mean, just we will park these, uh, we will park these rhetorical questions, and then hopefully we can come back to them later. The second thing about the discussion, just to lay the framework of the environment, is that we have a role in this environment as well, and. The way that our primary sources, the Qur'an and the Sunnah, talk about this is that man, and here when I use the word man, I use it in its original term to, to refer to men and women. Uh, it's always hard to change you know, what you're used to. So I, this is not a chauvinistic uh, term that I'm in, or the way that I'm using it. But this is the humans. We are, as creation, considered 
a leader or a master in the universe, not a master of the universe. And that's a huge point to make. That the way that the Qur'an talks about the human being, uh, both men and women, is that we are masters in the universe, not of the universe. And it is here from where our paradigm and our principled approach to the environment manifests. So, to that effect, God says in the Qur'an in Surah Al-Jathiyah, verse 13, وَسَخَرَ لَكُمْ مَا فِي السَّمَوَاتِ وَمَا فِي الْأَرْضِ جَمِيعًا مِنْهِ God has facilitated for us everything that is in the heavens and the earth for us. So the universe has been given to us for us to use in a certain way, not to use any way we want. And this is why I make the distinction that we are a master in the universe, not of the universe. Who is the master of the universe? It's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the believing Muslim or for any believer for that matter, God. God Almighty is the creator. He is the master of the universe. So we don't say according to our reading of the text, that we are the master of the universe. We just say we are a master in it, meaning that we have responsibilities, meaning that we have obligations. And to that effect, God says in the Qur'an, Surah Hud, verse 61, He has created you from the earth and has asked you to develop the earth. The, 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 the way that this verb is made, istafala, that means that somebody is asking the other, the person speaking or the one speaking is asking of the spoken to to do something. Istamarakum, God is asking from us that we develop the world. So there is our responsibility that we have to do something positive in this world with what we have been given. Why? Because we are masters in the universe, in the creation, not of creation. And these two meta-concepts, one that the environment and by you can substitute universe, creation. I mean, I'm just using environment because I think we kind of kind of can get that. One is that nature, the environment is alive, is animated, is in a state of worship. And number two, as our creation with free will, with reason, with the power and the ability to communicate, we have an obligation towards that, which is to develop that which has been given and been facilitated for us and for our use. So with these two meta-principles, we can begin now to figure out, well, what is our attitude towards the environment, towards nature, and then why am I considering this part of our meta-principles that we need to uh, keep in mind? When we talk about our obligations, and this is, uh, I know it's a legal concept, and Islam very much, as we know, is a legal tradition. A lot of confusion, I think, comes from the modern, modern contemporary Muslims not understanding that a lot of the verses in the Qur'an, not, not all of them, but, but many of them, and a lot of the hadith need to be understood as legal statements. Uh, so, for example, and I, and I know this is going to be a, I'm going to make this a tangent, and this in itself is a huge topic, but the, the famous verse when, when God addresses men and women, and God says, And men have a degree over women. You know, in its most grotesque form, people understand this as men are over women, men are powerful over women, women are under men, etc., that's not what it's talking about. If we understand this in the legal concept of obligation, men have a, a degree over women, meaning a degree of obligation, a degree of responsibility. 
Uh, and if we understood that verse as such, we would we would see a completely different paradigm between the obligations or the relationships between men and women. That a man, and, and this here talking about a you know traditional like household type of setup, you have to take care of those underneath you. That's your obligation. That's the degree, that extra work that you have to do. Think of it like extra work. This is the extra overtime that you have You have to have because it's your obligation, because God created within you this capacity to do that, so therefore it's your obligation. We can understand that. And again, I know that's a, a topic onto itself. Inshallah, I'll, I'll make a note of it and we'll, we'll come back to it in another episode. I'm sure a lot of people have questions about that. I, I even have questions about that. But coming back to the question of the environment, the issue of the environment... We also we have that same obligation collectively as humankind towards uh, nature. So we are responsible to develop it, meaning that we are also responsible to protect it. Uh, God frequently talks in the Quran about moderation uh, towards the environment, what we take from the environment. For example. God says in Surah Al-A'raf, verse 31, Eat and drink, but do not do so till excess. Uh, indeed, God does not, not like uh, or is not favorable to, to those who live in excess. Israf, you know, to, to take what we don't need and waste from the world around us. When we eat and drink, when we're eating and drinking from the environment, from, from the world around us, it's not coming from somewhere else. So this injunction in the Quran is telling us to live within our means, collectively as a as a as a race, you know, collectively as a, as a species, to to live within our means, to not take with excess and then to discard wastefully, and therefore take the resources of some somebody else or some other type of creation. So uh, we have an obligation to towards the environment, not to create what the Quran refers to as fasad, not to create corruption. The, a beautiful series of verses in Surah Al-Baqarah, verse 204 and 205. Uh, and I'll read them piecemeal. There are people in this world, you like what they say. And they swear to God that they are honest and genuine, but indeed they are the most uh, striking enemies of the truth. Now God in the next verse gives us an indication of what is the proof of the statement And if these people are given power, meaning worldly power They spread mischief, corruption Again the word fasad throughout earth And they destroy the agriculture, meaning they destroy the economy But here specifically the word in the context is the environment and nestle, and they they kill people. You know, they kill families. They they rip families apart, etc. Wallahu la yuhibbul fasad. But Allah does not is not pleasing or does not love the corrupt or corruption. A very powerful verse and and a, and a lesson and a principle into itself about you know people talk talk a good talk, but look at to how they walk. Look at to how they function. So people they they swear that they're doing good. They're they're swearing that and this could be people, nations, organizations, companies, whatever. Uh, interest groups they're claiming that they want good but then look at what they're actually doing in this verse god is saying and they are creating mischief they're creating corruption on earth meaning towards the natural environment that we have been given to use in a certain way 
So we have orders not to create fasad, not to create mischief. We have to respect agriculture. Now, of course, the metaphors in the Quran are uh, were, were addressed to an agrarian mindset. Now, we are not in a necessarily agrarian mindset, but, but nonetheless, we can understand that to be livelihood, the economy, or the global economy, local economy, and or to understand this to actually be the environment itself, because it is from agriculture, from farming, that we eat and we drink and we, we nourish our bodies. So we have to have respect for that. We have to have respect towards animals. I mean, tons and tons of hadith about, about being kind to animals. The, the famous hadith of the, the dog that was given water by a man uh, and this man enters paradise just from giving a thirsty dog water. Uh, which is interesting because the dog in Islamic law is sometimes is misunderstood as something I mean we consider most of the schools of thought consider it rich, the saliva of the dog ritually impure najis and we also have the other hadith about the angels not appearing where the, where dogs are so somehow this some people assume that this means that the dog is negative and this is just a little tangent but I think it's it, it bears uh, reminding that there's actually a story in which uh, you know, the revelation would come to the Prophet, peace be upon him, piecemeal. It didn't come all at once. And God says one of the wisdoms of this is to make the Prophet's heart firm, peace be upon him. Well, there was a period of time where Gabriel was not coming. And, you know, the Prophet, peace be upon him, was longing for that. It was like a, an amazing experience for him. He was longing for it. And then when he eventually met with Gabriel again, he asked, why have you not come? And he said, well, there's a dog around you, or maybe there's a dog, a dog under the bed or something like that. And he said, angels do not appear where the dogs appear. So the Prophet, peace be upon him, using his ijtihad, said, okay, well, I'm going to do away with the dogs and order the companions to, to get rid of the dogs. And then that ruling or this approach was abrogated. Uh, and then the Prophet, peace be upon him, forbade them for doing that. And he informed them, the dogs are an umam like you. They are a nation just like you. So the fact that the angels don't come when there's a, in a room in which there's a dog, that's just a natural law that God created between angels and, and the dog. So for example, if we had a mosque, we just wouldn't let the dog in the, the prayer hall of the mosque. But you can have a dog on the property if it's a guard dog or, you know, etc. So that's just a, a little tangent. So this hadith is pretty pretty powerful that the man enters paradise because he gave a thirsty dog water. And then a, a woman who was practicing her faith, etc. and pious was sent to the hellfire because she did not get, feed a cat or mistreated a cat. So these hadith, other than the specifics of them, the dog and the cat, etc., they're also metaphors for animals, for care of animals, for care of livestock, for care of nature, etc. So we have to have respect towards nature, respect towards plant life. One of our, you know, the rules of engagement in, in legitimate battle is that you cannot burn uh, the plants and the trees of a, of a town or of a village, you know, many hadith that speak of that. And of course, fundamentally, respect of life itself. God says in the Quran, We have indeed honored the children of Adam, meaning the human being. So therefore, regardless of faith, regardless of belief or even disbelief, humans have a, a, a sanctity to them because they are the creation of God Almighty. And therefore, we have an obligation to respect and to honor uh, and to maintain life itself. So all of these can be unpacked, right? All of these obligations can be our topics in and of themselves. If we were writing a, a book or a textbook on Islam and the environment, these would be chapters. 
uh, what Islam says about the obligations towards animals, towards plant life, towards, towards water conservation, even, you know, not making excess, using excess water in wudu, uh, in ghusl. If you looked at the amount of water that the Prophet, peace be upon him, used for wudu and ghusl, you know, we would be shocked. I mean, we, we, we do more than that many times over when we are having the faucet over, etc. So all of these, all of this is to say that we have a tremendous responsibility and obligation and therefore respect towards the environment. And this is what it means to be a master in the universe or in creation, not a master of creation. And the Prophet, peace be upon him, in, in a very powerful hadith, he stated that anybody who plants uh, a tree from where, or or a fruit or 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 a root or something like that from which animals and birds eat they are re they receive a reward for the feeding of those animals so if you have a little garden or a bird feed uh, or something that which is a great practice every time a bird comes let's see, look at the bird feed example because they can be very small you know you put it outside your window on your porch or you know even if you live in an apartment you know outside on the roof whatever Every time a bird comes and eats from that, you are getting a hasana. You are getting a, a good deed. Because you are fulfilling your meta role in the environment. And that's the, the point of this discussion, the, the meta point of this discussion, if we can abstract it completely, is that our command of developing the world and all of the, keeping in mind all of the things that I have just mentioned is really to help us return to the most natural state po possible, which is to be naturally in tune and in sync with the world around us. When you read the hadith, uh, the person that seeks knowledge, one of the hadiths about the benefits of seeking knowledge is that every, every created being supplicates for the person seeking knowledge, even the waves in the ocean and the fish in the sea. You know, they'd always tell us these hadith like when we were young students, you know, to motivate us, right, to, to on the path that we're about to take. And that's a very powerful notion, is that why does the person who seek knowledge, now here, knowledge, you know, proper knowledge, and properly uh, implemented knowledge, you know, not knowledge that leads to destruction, why does the environment supplicate for you? Because then you become a manifestation of this mercy. And that's the first hadith that we learn, the hadith of mercy, uh, and I think I've talked about it in previous episodes. Um, and the reason it's the first hadith that a student receives is to remind us that the point of sacred knowledge in all of its facets and all of its uh, sciences and disciplines is to be a manifestation of the mercy, which is the mercy of the Prophet, peace be upon him, which in this discussion is ultimately to be in sync with the world around us. God talks about the balance of nature, the mizan in Surah Al-Rahman, so to maintain the environment, to have an obligation towards the environment, is to maintain the balance of nature, which is why we do not are ordered not to be in excess, not to be wasteful, not to create mischief, not to create corruption, uh, not to harm the living beings. Now, of course, there's a sharia way that we can take from the environment uh, to, to eat and to drink and, and to clothe ourselves, and, but with moderation, not with excess not with the uh, principle of profit only, but uh, with the principle of mercy. So yes, things must be profitable to, to be able to be sustainable and to s fulfill the needs of people, etc. But that can't violate balance, mercy, equilibrium, 
justice in the environment, in the natural world, etc. So this is why I think this is an important principle for us, especially now when we look around us and we see the tremendous damage that we as a, as a, as a race have you know, created uh, in the environment, whether it be air, air pollution, uh, ozone layer, whether it be destruction of forests, natural resources, the over-consuming of natural resources, or the over-consumption of the developed world in general that over-consumes natural resources exponentially more than the developing world, etc. So pollution, uh, you know, water. So it, while it can be overwhelming, where do we begin? Begin with yourself. Begin with, you know, reforming yourself. How about when you go to make wudu, you know, don't run the faucet all the way on full. Uh, those type of be con, be conservative in 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 the environment. Uh, think about what you're eating and what you're consuming. Uh, is it traceable? You know, now even clothes you can buy traceable clothes. Now I'm not saying I mean you can get crazy with all this stuff. I'm not necessarily saying we have to go down that route. But step by step, I'm giving you a sense of how one can take what we're talking about and actually implement it to be just more conscious about what you're consuming, what you buy, what you eat, what you drink. These type of things. Now there are things that you can't get around. You can't get around, you know, transportation, air travel, things like that. So I'm not saying you know we all have to go get a donkey and just start riding the donkey everywhere. I mean, you know, that's not going to be feasible, because there are certain ways that the world around us has been set up that we have to play within certain you know rules. But there's a lot that we can do individually for those of us who are in families, families, friends, communities. For those of us who have religious communities, mosques, institutions, etc. Uh, there's a lot that we can implement. To, to take this idea of preserving, protecting the balance of nature, there's a lot that we can do to implement our own in our own faith tradition that will raise the consciousness of people around us. And that's really what it takes. It takes group effort, you know, but that starts with the individual, but group effort to make these type of large changes. Anyway, as I said, we can go on and on about the environment. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw it to a close here because to keep in, in, in the style of the, the principles, which are essentially short discussions. Uh, and I do hope that I, I can um, find the time, inshallah, in the near future to dedicate a longer conversation actually oh, to the environment. I remember when I was younger, uh, I was really into this. And again, I was blessed to study with many people who have uh, were leading uh, people to talk about the spiritual crisis of the environment, etc. So we'll try to bring all of that together into a more substantial conversation. I hope you found this beneficial. Again, always welcome your feedback. I look forward to speaking to you soon. Take care. <laughs>